Hello and welcome to The Every Lawyer. I'm Julia Tetro-Provenci. This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Introducing John Stefaniuk Casey, CBA President for 2023-2024. In addition to a stellar career with Thompson Dorfman Sweatman LLP, with a broad practice in the areas of environmental law, real estate and development law, natural resources and energy, as well as commercial law and municipal law, earning multiple awards and top listings both in Canada and globally, He has also chaired the Manitoba Criminal Code Review Board and volunteered with the Friends of the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. His involvement with the CBA has also been quite extensive. President of the Manitoba Bar Association in 2005-2006 and at a national level, Chair of the National Environmental Law Section, Chair of the Judicial Issues Subcommittee, Chair of the Investment Steering Subcommittee, member of the Supreme Court Liaison Committee, director of the Canadian Bar Insurance Association, co-chair of three national conferences and the local committee for the 2005 Canadian Legal Conference, and an active volunteer in the CBA International Initiatives slash Global Affairs Canada SIRD, the Supporting Inclusive Resource Development Project in East Africa. Here's my conversation with CBA president, John Stefaniuk, some three weeks into his tenure. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself so that we can know who is the new CBA president? I mean, where you grew up, always want to be a lawyer, you know, stuff like that. Born and raised in Winnipeg. And when I grew up, it was actually a small town called Transcona, which was named after Lord Strathcona and the Transcontinental Railway because the Canadian National Railway had its big uh, maintenance shops there for Western Canada. So all the, uh, all the dads around tended to work for the CN Rail, and uh, as did my dad and his dad before him. So I'm a first-generation uh, Canadian on my father's side. My family came to Canada in the early 1930s. First my grandfather, then he saved money and sent uh, for my dad and, 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 my, and my grandmother, and uh, they joined some other family here in Winnipeg. So you were not, you're not a former family of lawyers, but you decided to become one. I'm definitely not from a family of lawyers. In fact, I think my parents used a lawyer twice in their lives, once to buy their house and once to make their wills. And they stayed in the same house for the rest of their lives. So uh, I think that's the only contact they had with lawyers. Uh, I'm, I'm the first in my family to go to university, uh, followed by my brother shortly after. And uh, so uh, my, my dad quit school when he was 15 to go work at the railway and help support his family. My mom, uh, she completed her high school education and went into the workforce after that. But uh, that's, that's as far as they went in terms of formal education. And, you know, back in my dad's time, there were still quotas at the professional faculties in Manitoba uh, for, for Jews and for Ukrainians. And so because my family was of Ukrainian origin, um, even if we were to go to a professional faculty, you might have to face those restrictions. So can I ask you why they were quotas? Well, because they didn't want to have too many Jews or Ukrainians in the schools compared to all the mostly Anglo-Saxon people who went to those faculties. Okay, so that was 
straight discrimination. Well, but in those days, yes. Yeah. Okay. No. Oh, well, I didn't know. I've been in the forties, I think. Yeah. Okay. So you did your your law degree, and then you decided to become a lawyer. And what did you practice first? Well, I, I started. Uh, I took a commerce degree as a as sort of a backup plan, just in case. Okay. I'm able to get into law school. No one made me a, an offer I couldn't refuse after commerce, so I continued into law school and uh, visited the uh, associate dean uh, at that time was a professor, Art Braid, a great professor, and sort of told him my marks and told him my uh, LSAT score, and uh, he thought I wouldn't have any trouble getting in. So continued into law school straight after getting my commerce degree. I... Uh, I'm still in the same firm that I articled with. In fact, I was a summer student here at uh, Thompson, Northman, Sweatman, LLP in Winnipeg. My, my practice uh, started out in, in more corporate commercial work. But I was mentored by a lawyer, Bob Adkins, who's still a partner of mine here, who had a pretty broad practice. So as he started uh, changing his practice a little bit, I started doing more municipal planning work and then uh, real estate and development work. And then uh, one day, one of the partners came to me with an environmental question, and uh, environmental law was at its infancy then. And he said, well, hey, Stefania, go figure this out. A couple of weeks later, I came back with a, a couple of binders of material and some answers, and that's what started me uh, in environmental law. Nice. We were talking about, like, what year? Because, I mean, environmental law is very new. Even when I was doing my law degree, it was still very new. Yeah, this was about 1989-90. Okay. And uh, yeah, there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of case law out there in, in Canada. Uh, I remember one case, the Panamericana case of, out of Alberta, which was about it in terms of receivers' uh, liability for uh, environmental contamination. And the rest of it, we had to kind of figure out. I started the environmental law practice even more after attending my first CBA national conference, uh, national annual meeting in uh, Toronto in 1994. I went to a business meeting there for the environmental law section. And the uh, chair at the time, uh, Darlene Pearson, said, oh, we don't have a chair in Manitoba. How would you like to be the section chair in Manitoba? And so that got me on to the national executive. Uh, and then uh, I took executive positions with the section, became national section chair after some years, and uh, developed a lot of contacts and connections and very good friends through the environmental law section, now the National Environment, Energy and Resource Law section for the CBA. And you were president of the Manitoba Bar Association in 2005-2006, chair of the National Environmental Law Section, chair of the Judicial Issues Subcommittee. And I can name all of them because there's like a, a huge list that I have on my document. Uh, very impressive, I must say. Where you started with the CBA was with the environmental, but then I see that you also have been a bit all around. And I'd like to know a bit about also your human rights law, because I'm a human rights lawyer. And I started at CBA with the Wiley program, which is so great and opened so many doors. But I'd like to hear a bit about what you did in human rights law. And I believe you're still doing many things. Well, I'm glad to hear about your participation in the Wiley program, because I think that's a great entry for, for young lawyers. And uh, it's certainly something that is attractive to many of our uh, partner firms. Uh, and uh, that they're able to uh, give their uh, associates these opportunities to participate in something on the international level. Um, my own involvement on the human rights side is a little bit more tangential. 
Um, I've done uh, some volunteer work while I was on hiatus from CBA volunteer activities um, as a uh, volunteer with the Friends of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, which was the fundraising arm uh, for the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. So while there, the uh, organization raised a little over $150 million towards the construction of the museum. So that was uh, an important project and it was very exciting to be involved in, in that because, of course, the museum itself is is uh, focused on human rights and its mission really is to make everyone who visits the museum and even those who aren't able to visit virtually and participate, to make them human rights champions wherever they are from. Apart from that, I guess my participation was similar to yours because I was uh, a volunteer for the uh, CBA International Development Program. And, and the program is called uh, CIRD, S-I-R-D, for Supporting Inclusive Resource Development. The program ran for uh, a little over five years because there was a bit of a COVID interruption in East Africa in a partnership with the East African Law Societies and uh, Global Affairs Canada. And the uh, focus of that program was on providing support and awareness and law reform, especially in relation to uh, women's issues and community issues in extractive resource development. So in uh, Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania, they're at various stages in the development of their natural resource industries. And we're talking about mining and, and more so oil and gas development. And uh, women in their communities were, were disproportionately affected. And so the idea there was to increase their capacity to train trainers, to increase awareness among the profession and with government officials, and also to assist in uh, law reform and uh, just bringing our own experiences in Canada and abroad to the law societies of Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania, and uh, assisting their members in, in their development. And of course, we received just as much as we provided in terms of uh, understanding their experiences and their legislative regimes and uh, some of the community experiences, which were very, very moving and, and very interesting to hear about. You did that uh, as a volunteer? Or was it like a pro bono? I'm always impressed with CBA, everything that you can do. No, I, I, I was a volunteer with the CBA's International Development Program, that CERD program. And so it allowed me to go to East Africa four times during my volunteer period and each time for a week or two or, or I guess even three going from country to country and, and running the program and doing presentations. And it was definitely a experience that was very rewarding, personally. How did you manage to do that at the same time as you were, because I understand that you were full-time working also at your firm? Yeah, well, uh, I'll, sleep is highly overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but seriously, uh, I mean, with, with technology these days, for better or for worse, I think lawyers can do a lot of work from almost anywhere in the world. Even when I was on my own time there in tented safari camps doing some R&R, &R, you could get pretty decent uh, internet connections. And, and so you might not be able to do video calls, but uh, you could at least check in with the office, provide instructions, read documents, that sort of thing. In fact, this summer I was able to do that on a, on a Greek island cruise as well, just taking up <laughs> with the office for better or for worse. 
<laughs> yeah, I was about to say the right to disconnect as well, though. <laughs> right. But that's very, very inspiring. And I thank you also for sharing. And I understand that you did all that prior to be the CBA president, but now you are the CBA president. So I would like also to know a bit, how does it feel? So how, how long have you been now? It's, uh, it's quite new, right? I've been CBA president since September 1. That's it. So, Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> Very this nice. Is day, 20, 22, day 22 of being CBA president. Three weeks now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm still standing. I've had the opportunity to greet some people here in Winnipeg because we had an, our board meetings uh, here uh, first week of September and, and a very nice chain of office reception where past president Steve Bougeot uh, passed on the chain of office to, to me. Uh, it was nice to have the ability to uh, see many good friends from around the country and from here and to give a little bit of an address about my priorities through the year. And then we had uh, we're into board meetings uh, the rest of the week. So is it like, do you need to, I don't know how it works, but like, do you need to take some moment off from your uh, current job or like, is it something that you do in parallel? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do it in parallel. I have some examples of other presidents who've done the same thing. And so we'll see how it goes. It's uh, fairly new. I, I was traveling through Atlantic Canada over the last week and a half. And, uh, you know, I was able to keep on top of things and had a few work days thrown in with some CBA days and, And then uh, a couple of days on my own to tour around Newfoundland a little bit. So, so far, the balance has been working out nicely. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And, and can you tell us a bit about, like, why did you decide to run for president? And what do you want to do for CBA and with CBA? wasn't planning to run as president of the CBA. I did want to get back involved. So I got back on the National Board of Directors, which was a good experience. And uh, like so many other things that I've become involved with with the CBA, Someone or more than one person sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Have you thought about this?" Or I think we, I think uh, you'd be good at this. <laughs> so well, once I put my name in, uh, I was uh, going to do it and do it seriously. And uh, here, here I am. In terms of my presidential priorities for the year, every year, the CBA president is asked to identify one or a few presidential priorities. My first priority is the protection and promotion of the rule of law at home and abroad, and particularly where we see erosion around the world, but also in our own country on issues like judicial independence, on access to justice, on equal treatment under the law, as well as what we see in other jurisdictions around the world where we can partner with uh, other bar associations. Uh, I think it's important that the CBA is... Uh, proactive and we're required um, quickly reactive to these issues as they come up, especially here in Canada. Uh, rule of law is of fundamental importance to our uh, democratic system of government. And without that, our system of government is, uh, is in trouble. Uh, second priority is to ensure that the Canadian Bar Association is an inclusive association. We have a number of uh, associations and micro associations and affinity associations that have started up in the last number of years. And, uh, you know, there's even a Ukrainian Canadian Bar Association. There's South Asian Bar Associations, Indigenous Bar Associations, Black Lawyers Associations. We want to make sure that uh, all groups are 
supported by the CBA. We're not in competition, but we will also want to show members of those groups that the CBA has something to offer for them. And we want to make sure that any barriers to entry, whether they're real or perceived, are eliminated or reduced as much as possible so that everyone sees a place for themselves in the Canadian Bar Association. The third priority I think is best might be best described as giving back. Sir Francis Bacon wrote many years ago in his introduction to the uh, treaties of the common laws of England, and I'll, I'll summarize it. He basically said that it's incumbent on every professional to be an ornament unto their profession. So that's done by practicing well and also giving back to the profession and to the community. And I think we need to do a little bit better job and try to do that this year is showcasing members of the profession who do just that, who give back to the profession or who give back to their local communities in all kinds of ways, whether that's by teaching or uh, academic research or whether it's by uh, coaching their local ringette or hockey team or soccer team. All of that's important. Lawyers are in tremendous demand as volunteers. And by celebrating those that are able to do this and have had uh, some success and achievement in doing this, to you know, to show them as examples to others, so that they too can become involved and give back to the profession and their communities. So those are the three priorities in a nutshell. Thank you, thank you, and I think you kind of hit because we've been doing a lot of um, interviews for the Touchstone Reports because it's the 30th anniversary of the Touchstone Report on the, the place of women in the law. Yeah, and. I feel like two of the priorities that, that you're talking about, they came so often. Uh, women saying first uh, inclusion, feeling that, uh, you know, associations, some of the associations that you name, they were also named by some of the women saying how useful they, they were, how important they were for them uh, to feel included, to feel that they could share also their story. And if they face discrimination, that they were supported. So I'm very glad to, to know that it's also one of your priority as a president, you know, to continue this inclusion. And also I would say this giving back, this mentorship is so important. And that came often from the women as well. And the younger one, the juniors saying, you know, it's so important for them to have those mentor that they can, you know, they can look up to and they can ask for advice. I think you're touching, it's really right on. So thank you very much. And how, how did you come with those priorities? Is it because of your work? You, you talk with some people uh, before that, or it's just because you have a lot of experience or it has always been important for you? I think those are things that have always been important for me, but as I've continued to practice law and just to keep in touch with the rest of the world, those things are issues that resurface for me. Uh, I come from a family who are always involved with the community and, you know, by example, taught the importance of, of giving back in various different ways, whether it's my grandparents' involvement in, in actually physically building and uh, working with their church, uh, or my parents, my uh, involved in community service clubs or in sporting organizations. I, I'd go out uh, at late night in the winter with my dad and you know, flood the community club hockey rink with him, uh, and, you know, things like that. So you learn by example or, or set up for the Kinsman Club bingo in the uh, local school. Uh, my mother would uh, melt paraffin to make these wax candles that the uh, local Connect Club would sell at Christmas time. Or I'd go and from with my dad to the uh, uh, out in in the cold in the winter, 
one of the, their fundraiser at the time was selling uh, mandarin oranges in old in what they still came in wooden boxes and delivering them before Christmas. Uh, so you know you learn by example and, and just by seeing that. Uh, and so it is. I've always thought it was important to give back to the community. And rule of law, of course, is something you learn about and you become more familiar with. Um, I've had the pleasure of hearing all num any number of people speak on the issue, whether it's uh, former Supreme Court of Canada justices like uh, former Chief Justice McLaughlin or Justice Rosalie Bella, uh, former Justice Minister Irwin Kotler. I mean, they all spoke very eloquently and passionately on issues of rule of law and the importance of rule of law. And, you know, some of that eventually sunk through. In fact, it was uh, hearing Erwin Kotler speak at, uh, at an event where it became clear to me that uh, many of our elected officials and those who seek to be elected don't recognize that in 1982, Canada became a constitutional democracy and it was no longer a parliamentary democracy and that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms mm -hmm was the uh, the supreme document and that actions by government uh, had to fall within the parameters of the charter and, and that the charter and the courts are there to protect individuals from the incursion of government so you know those sorts of concepts are very important to the way our society functions that the separation of state the uh, executive judicial and legislative branches of government um, that's important to preserving our institutions and our systems of uh, government and democracy. And whether it's because we don't teach social studies or, or Canadian history in our schools in the same way, uh, it's, it's not something that's um, a common understanding among all people in Canada. We think we should have those basic understandings. You can agree or disagree with them, but at least you understand what the concepts are. And uh, I think that would go a long way to addressing some of the issues we see before us these days. Yeah. And do you feel like, you know, lawyers might, because of what we know and because of the, the privilege that we have to have this knowledge about the law, we kind of act, act like watchdog. It's not the word in English, right? Of the, the rule of law, making sure it's preserved and respected. You know, in some ways, we're like the guardians of the galaxy. Guardians, exactly. That's, <laughs> exactly. That's more sexy. <laughs> part, part one, but not part one anyway, maybe not two or three. Um, so uh, in that respect, uh, sure, lawyers are in a bit of a privileged position in many ways, partly because of their training, uh, sometimes because of the respect they're accorded uh, by members of society generally. And, uh, and, and many of us are, are able to earn a very comfortable living doing what we do. So we have a special responsibility to, to give back, to share our insights and our knowledge and, and to transfer some of that and to better explain uh, some of the issues that, that we see around us. I think that's half the battle, especially in today's world where we have a very segmented uh, sources of information. Uh, you know, uh, growing up, there were three channels on television, uh, four channels, including the one Francophone station in Manitoba. And uh, so everyone consumed pretty much the same media. Uh, Saturday night was hockey night in Canada for pretty much every house. And that's not the case anymore. 
And even in terms of consumption of music or news, you can select your news and information sources based on ones that you feel comfortable with or that support your belief system. And you can be somewhat insulated from other points of view. I think that it's very important that we're able to uh, help uh, break down barriers and explain the importance of these issues in a way that's easily understandable. I know that the American Bar Association, as an initiative, they're pushing for civic education again in elementary schools as a, as a means of helping people understand and identify why the rule of law is important in uh, democratic countries. That's nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is it a plan for the CBA? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. The American Bar Association, of course, is at least 10 times as large as the CBA. True. Canada has roughly the same number of lawyers as the state of California. And so uh, it's, uh, it's a different scale. But, uh, you know, we can do things in our own way, even things like uh, Law Day celebrations and, um, and uh, moot courts where kids participate in or classroom visits or any of those sorts of things uh, can go a long way in, in bring these stories forward and advancing education. Talking about the rule of law, because well, also because of your family and because I know you're also involved. And uh, maybe I'd like to know a bit what is being done with the CBA or even by you uh, in the community to support Ukrainian, Canadian Ukrainian or Ukrainian who are coming here. I'm going to Ukraine uh, in like uh, 15 days in Kiev, working on conflict-related sexual violence over there. And maybe I'd just like to know... You know, your thoughts about what's happening in Ukraine since the full-scale invasion, but also before in uh, 2014, 2015? Well, Ukraine is uh, it's an area that is um, emblematic of what happens when there's a deterioration of the rule of law at the international level. You've got a country of 40 million plus people who have voluntarily surrendered their nuclear weapons when they became an independent nation outside of the Soviet bloc on the assurance that their territorial integrity would be respected and maintained. And then you have a totalitarian regime led by a megalomaniac with imperial ambitions to restore an empire that never was crossing their border and inflicting horrible, horrible human and physical losses against a fledgling democracy. And this is completely unacceptable in a world like today. And, and we stand steadfast with uh, our brothers and sisters in the Ukrainian Bar Association. We have contact with them. We support them, uh, of course, in principle at the international level. I know many law firms in Canada have uh, reached out and uh, employed Ukrainian lawyers and, and Ukrainian paralegals and, and others who have had to leave the country or, or are working from abroad outside of Ukraine. Uh, it's a uh, global catastrophe. And, you know, the Canadian Bar Association can do what it can, but Our role is necessarily a, a limited one. We're member-driven and a volunteer-based organization, but we can certainly lend our, our voice and the energies of our members in, in fighting the good fight and uh, 
hopefully leading this to a peaceful and satisfactory resolution. We have to stay abreast of things that are going on throughout the world. And, and we're often called upon to comment on issues by bar associations and lawyers associations in those countries. Recently, we've been made aware of situations in Tanzania where lawyers have been arrested for uh, criticizing a government transaction with a uh, foreign government for the management of Tanzania's ports. We've been uh, speaking up on issues where uh, lawyers from Muslim minorities in Pakistan have been denied bar association membership or whose ability to practice is threatened because of their religious beliefs. And you know, those are only small examples of the kinds of things that are brought to our attention and where we do as best we can to lend our support. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that also with Afghanistan when it happened. The Canadian Bar Association was very active as well. Some lawyers uh, were very proactive. So it's, I think for me, it's very inspiring and it's very inspiring to be to be part of this association. And I think we can all be be very proud of this. And talking about that also, it's just I because I'm always impressed. Some of my friends, some of my friends who are lawyers as well, they're always like, "What does CBE thinks about think about like this thing or this very political or this legal aspect that has been everybody's talking about?" And they're always like, you know, people really look up to the CBA and what what is the position of the CBE because I think it's often really well sounded and really respected also in the community, in the legal community. Um, and I think that's also very important. Well, it's important for the CBA to be seen as a supporter of the rule of law and the systems of justice. It's also important for the CBA to be seen as a supporter of our members, uh, lawyers, academics, law students, notaries, and their, their individual interests. So issues like protection of solicitor and client privilege, privacy issues, law reform and uh, modernization, legal education, professional development, all, all these things are important to CBA and its members. And uh, for some people, you know, we have to make a value proposition for our membership. Membership in the CBA is, is voluntary for most of our members, and we have to make sure that they receive the benefits that justify their, their membership. And for some, it's going to be the things we do internationally. For others, it's going to be the things we do at the branch level in terms of professional development or social activities or ability to participate. For some members, it'll, it may be the discounts they're able to receive on products that they already enjoy or are planning to enjoy. So for everyone, it's a little bit different. For many, it's a mix of things. And that is something we're plan to continue to deliver to our members. And I was I also had a question because I always find the CBA, well, it's very progressive. Uh, well, from now on, I mean, I've been to the YLIP since I joined YLIP in 2018, I think. Um, and that's the first time I, I, I really encountered CBA and the work of the CBA. And what I love is that I, I see that it, it often reflects my values as a lawyer, as a woman as well. And I was wondering if it has always been like that. If the CBA has always been this very progressive association. Well, it's come a long way since the Touchstones Report, which um, was you know issued just a short while before I started my involvement with the CBA. And you know, since that time, just like uh, Canadian society as a whole, I think there have been uh, tremendous strides made 
in the, the advancement of rights for women, for uh, uh, minority groups, uh, for those who have seen discrimination. Um, you know, things have, have changed remarkably. And this is may not be the best example, but you know, when I was looking for an articling position in 1988, I actually had a former school guidance counselor phone me up and tell me that, uh, you know, John, the firm that you're looking at going with, which is the firm I'm at still, it's no place for a Ukrainian kid like you. That's a WASP firm. There's no place for you in that uh, in that firm. And that was in the late 80s already. And, you know, you, you would normally think of me as a uh, an old white guy now. And uh, I was a young white guy then. But, you know, even just based on ethnicity, there were still those uh, layers of, of discrimination that were still somewhat ingrained, in, at least perceived in the system. So we've come a long, long way from that. I look at the diversity among our, even our associates at my firm, and it's, it's quite remarkable in terms of uh, race, ethnicity, gender, uh, gender identity, gender preference. You know, all those issues are, are reflected among our younger lawyers and students here. And each of these people are working their way through the system and, and will become, soon they'll become the mid-level people and then the senior people. You know, there'll always be issues, but some of the issues that uh, people have worked so hard to identify and address over the years are now becoming much, much less prominent than they once were. And uh, all for, for the better. I mean, Canada is a pluralistic society. We have to make sure we recognize the broadest possible diversity in terms of backgrounds and belief systems and we continue to evolve in, in that direction. I would have like three last questions for you because you are quite a, I would say a human rights champion, but just a champion of the CBA and everything that you've done is very impressive. Uh, but I'd like to know what motivates you <laughs> to do all that work. Well, I find my day job really interesting and challenging and it's usually something different every day. And I love dealing with some of the esoteric areas uh, of the law and questions that come up. Uh, in, in the volunteer work, uh, it's different than my day job often. Uh, I've done different things. I've been chair of our Criminal Code Review Board in Manitoba, which was a, which was a part-time appointment. So it was paid, but not, at, you know, it would call it almost volunteer work. I've been involved in a number of different things with the Canadian Bar Association, and it's always been very rewarding for me. I've always learned new things. It's helped me professionally. It's helped me develop my professional skills, my knowledge, especially interacting with uh, other members in, in the same practice areas from across the country. It's allowed me to make tremendous friends from across the country. I, I tell my uh, young associates that my membership in the Canadian Bar Association, my involvement, puts me in a place where I can go to most major cities in the country and there's someone I can have lunch with or, or, or go for a coffee with and uh, have a great conversation. And many of these people have become longtime friends over the years as well. And in terms of my practice, it's helped me develop a network of uh, clients and referral sources and expertise and people to whom I can refer clients to in other jurisdictions that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's helped me uh, tremendously in terms of developing a practice too. And the intrinsic rewards I've uh, obtained from my volunteering with the Bar Association have always been much greater than the effort I've put into them. 
in the work that I put into them. So I've always come away feeling better about what I've done, feeling better about myself, having learned something, and, and hopefully having contributed something. And I, I have that shared experience with many, many other people who have been CBA volunteers. And many of us call ourselves CBA lifers. <laughs> I keep saying oh, I'm looking for a 12-step program for volunteers. <laughs> I haven't found it yet. That's good. But I mean, to listen to you, I think that all our listeners will be trying to find where they want to volunteer at the CBA because it's very, it just gives us, you know, the, the, the will to do it because it seems to be so rewarding. And I know, I mean, I know volunteering is very rewarding, but if anyone was doubting it now, I think they would they all know it's, it's worth it. And also, I think with the CBA, what is nice is that there are so many topics and uh, issue and you know you just mentioned you you've done an intern association you you talked about the, the project in east africa but you also did the uh, judicial issues i think you you can go really find a topic that interests you and you can dig deeper into that and, and really commit to it and, and do some volunteer work and maybe become a cba lifer no uh, what, how do you call it yeah CBA lifers. <laughs> that's it the the uh i mean the first point of contact for many People when they become CBA volunteers are the are the branches. So every province as a and territory has its own branch and branch structure, and usually they're always looking for volunteers on a whole variety of issues or projects. And uh, the the second most frequent gateway into the CBA is through sections. So uh, practice areas, gender diversity section, or the women's forum. Um, Groups like that are opportunities for people to get involved and participate in areas of professional interest too. And uh, you're you're never too junior to start participating, and nor are you ever too senior in your career to be able to participate. And uh, uh, there's always a place for everyone. And I think the human being part is very important. We've done a lot of podcasts now with the different CBA members, and they've all been awesome. And they've all said, you know, I met the CBA person, and everybody is just seems so great and very, you know, inspiring and motivated and passionate also. So, I mean, big fan here of the CBA. So my last question for you uh, would be just, what do you find, if you find anything difficult, like, uh, is there anything that doesn't come naturally to you? And if so, what do you do with it? I've got terrible clerical skills because I think I'm a little bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so any aptitude test I had in, uh, Junior high told me to stay away from anything clerical or anything <laughs> like that because I terrible that sort of thing. So I've got uh, a fantastic assistant that helps me with you know make sure I've got things proofread properly and everything else. In, in terms of difficulty, I mean sometimes it's difficult to maintain uh, balance, but I think we make our choices as to you know how we uh, focus our energies and making time to make sure that uh, there's some self care involved and there's some Uh, personal time and relaxation time. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough over the years that I've, I've often been able to blend some of these things together, you know, combine some travel with some professional activities or volunteer activities, or make friends and visit them at different kinds of events and conferences. It's It's been uh, a very good ride that way. We, we uh, are in a challenging profession at times. There's no doubt about that. Many of us don't have occupations or careers that are, are nine to five. And uh, adding to that uh, any volunteer or other commitments or family commitments. And uh, if we have uh, health or mental health or other uh, issues that uh, require attention, sometimes 
it is difficult. So it's important for us to all have supports as well. And whether they're uh, supports through our, uh, through our uh, law societies, because there are supports through law societies and through the CBA, I think uh, we can help each other out to, to, to find the, the right balance and to get us over the, the humps and hurdles that we have to deal with. And take care of each other, yeah. Well, absolutely. Thank you so much. I think that was a good ending for that um, interview. I don't know if you wanted to add anything that I haven't asked I haven't asked you that you would like to add. If so, it's your time now. Otherwise, I thank you very much, Mr. Stefaniuk. It was very interesting. No, just uh, thank you very much, Julie, and uh, appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I, I hope the ed editing goes well and everything else. <laughs> This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. That was my conversation with CBE President Jan Stefania Casey. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe. And if I'm correct and we have motivated you to get involved, please visit cba.org and just click on everything. Or simply write to us directly at podcast at cba.org. And have a great day. Yeah, yeah, yeah.